Hyperion to a Saturn. Welcome to the 10th episode of Hyperion to a Seder, the Fire and Water Podcast Network's Hamlet podcast. I'm your host, Siskoid, your guide on a scene-by-scene, deep-dive look at Shakespeare's masterwork through the lens of not only the text, but many film, television, comics, and music adaptations. You can technically call this the start of the second season, throughout which we will address the second act. Hopefully, you already know what's uh, happening here, so let's jump right in with... Act 2, Scene 1, which I have split in two. In this episode, Polonius has a scene uh, with his spy, Ronaldo, and next week with his daughter, Ophelia. But on to Ronaldo. And you might well ask, who the heck is Ronaldo? Yeah, this is a sequence that is often cut from dramatic presentations. Why is Ronaldo so often left out? Well, for one thing, the play is excessively long, and most directors want to pare it down. Ronaldo is a minor character who does not reappear in the play later, and his scene is basically there to, to show what Polonius is capable of, spying on his own son and even maligning him, and to increase the sense of paranoia in Elsinore. Well, essentially, adaptations that feature the sequence create a more sinister Polonius than those that don't. That sinister Polonius is a more rounded character, a better match for Hamlet, and understandably in league with Claudius. The actor playing Polonius puts his own spin on it, of course, and we'll see how the text lends itself to variable interpretations. Is Polonius's rambling calculated to test Ronaldo? in this scene, or is he actually distracted? It varies. Let's look at a few points that are right there in the text. Let me quote from it. Polonius says, Inquire me first what danskers are in Paris, and how, and who, what means, and where to keep, what company, at what expense, and finding, by this encompassment and drift of question, that they do know my son. Come you more nearer, than your particular demands will touch it. Take you, as it were, some distant knowledge of him, and thus... I know his father and his friends and in part him. Do you mark this, Ronaldo? So though Ronaldo's actions in France will all occur offstage and not to be referenced again, we can compare the methods Polonius teaches him here with his own in the case of Hamlet. Polonius is not direct. He attempts to get information by subterfuge in a roundabout manner, in the same way that he has Ronaldo make inquiries for him, asking not pointed questions but obfuscating ones, so will he try to find out the cause of Hamlet's madness with honey traps and interrogation that's masked as a conversation. One should wonder if Hamlet would have been more forward with information if he were asked directly. At the end of a long stretch, Ronaldo says, Very good, my lord, and Polonius gets a little lost. And then, sir, does he this? He does... What was I about to say? By the mass, I was about to say something. Where did I leave? And this is a good example of giving the actors a choice as to interpretation. The exchange could read as Ronaldo being condescending to Polonius in retaliation for that same treatment, and Polonius testing to see if he was really listening. Or it could be that Ronaldo is attentive, and it's Polonius who gets distracted. The line between sinister and foolish can be drawn in different places depending on those choices. But whether a rambler or in love with his own voice, one thing we can say for Polonius is that he is tedious. The entire scene is replete with multiple examples that support each idea. The main crux is that he wants Ronaldo to talk ill of Laertes, 
to see if people will defend him or rather confirm his bad traits and then report back. Your bait of falsehood takes this carp of truth. It's an interesting metaphor that resonates with that of the worm that ate the king and Polonius later becoming worm food. If he becomes a worm eating of a king, similar to the sponge of another line, but I think better suited to this decaying realm, he can be thought of as this bait of falsehood, a liar trying to catch the carp of truth, which is Hamlet's true self. It's a worm and fish pun, but that truth will prove too elusive for him. And compare these lies with the antique disposition Hamlet has just decided to put on to get answers himself. Polonius really tests Ronaldo's patience at the end uh, as well. He must have the last word. Though the play survives without this sequence in it, uh, I find its revelations about Polonius extremely interesting. His hubris is palpable. We of wisdom, he says. And he suddenly seems like a threat to Hamlet. My first movie Hamlet was uh, Zeffirelli's, where this sequence, of course, does not appear. And Ian Holm, for all his prowess, seems to me wasted in the two-dimensional role of the old fool. Had this been in the film, I think it would have changed his whole character and been much more fascinating. But let's start with 1996's adaptation by Kenneth Branagh, uh, which uses the complete text and therefore does have Ronaldo. The film also casts the small roles with major stars, and in this case, Ronaldo is played by Gérard Depardieu. Unlike Jack Lemmon's casting as Marcellus, Depardieu doesn't have anything even resembling a substantial speech. But also unlike Lemon, he doesn't seem an ill fit for his character. Ronaldo is very much uh, a yes man who smiles along at Polonius's instructions and is never seen beyond this one scene. Stunt casting like this serves a purpose. And that purpose is to give the part a lot more weight. And by extension, it does the same for the scene. Giving the role to such an iconic actor lends Ronaldo's a richness he would not have had if played by an unknown. With Depardieu in charge of Polonius's mission, we might more easily imagine the adventures of Ronaldo in debauched France. There's also an implication here that he's the one who brought the whore we see in Polonius's bed with him. Though only Depardieu's importance truly makes this inference possible. He's an important actor, so his character must be an important man. How does that increase Polonius' own power? That he is ordering Ronaldo around. Using a French actor here also adds something, since Laertes is in France. Polonius seems to have access to an international ring of spies. Again, that increases his character's power. We're so used to, to seeing Richard Briers play kindly old men that Polonius's sinister turn is shocking. We saw a dark side to him when he got angry at Ophelia, but there's a big difference between anger and this deliberate Machiavellianism. Uh, even his eyebrows are shaped for evil. Polonius is in his element here. So confident, he only barely comes across as tedious. He's proud of himself and is definitely testing Ronaldo when he appears to have lost his train of thought. And then, sir, does he this? He does... What was I about to say? By the mass, I was about to say something. Where did I leave? So there's no pause there to indicate a real loss of focus. And Ronaldo is mystified at the question. Polonius is sure his little trap is clever. This is a man with a lot of clever turns of phrase. By indirections, find directions out. But it just seems off to Ronaldo. Ronaldo feigns amusement at the older man's wit, but shows his true attitude, a sort of impatient weariness at Polonius's condescending instructions when Polonius isn't looking in his direction. Still, 
Polonius remains a powerful and or rich man, it is worth making smiles at. Depardieu's performance infuses Ronaldo with a character that really doesn't appear on the page. And what of the whore in Polonius's bed? Maybe you jumped at that when I said it. From the look on her face, Polonius may be more dangerous than he seems. There's a huge contrast here between his unseen but inferred treatment of the prostitute and his fatherly kindness towards his daughter in the next sequence. But inferences aside, this addition to the scene shows Polonius to be a hypocrite. The text already tells us this. He takes a long time to tell us he'll be brief, for example, but it's easy to interpret such words not as hypocrisy, but as lack of self-awareness. In painting Polonius as a villain, perhaps worthy of his fate, Branda goes farther. There's a nice visual punch when Polonius mentions drabbing, which is to say visiting brothels, as it's one of the sullies, Ronaldo may lay on his son, and he sends the prostitute away through one of his room's secret doors, just on that word. Ophelia will come in from another secret door, which will complete a mirror image. He doesn't want his son to partake in various forms of vice, but... Here he is, drabbing, smoking, and drinking himself. Polonius doesn't listen to his own advice, nor does he hold himself to the same standard expected of his children. And this is a conscious thing in Branagh's Hamlet. One thing we haven't asked yet is why he wants this intel. It is possible he doesn't want Laertes to go to France and is hoping to make this his last trip by finding a reason to punish him, maybe. We never find out. But answering this question could help an actor decide how to play not just this scene, but the very first scene. In any case, this scene is a fascinating one between two great actors, and I miss it every time it's cut from an adaptation. And I know it's because of this version's power. It's cut from Olivier's version, but it turns up in the Jacoby Hamlet produced by the BBC in 1980. This version makes me realize how much it hinges on Ronaldo's performance. In the Brana adaptation, Ronaldo is a sinister figure, and thus the scene is played in a more sinister vein by Polonius. Here, he's a comedic sycophant. And it's hard to think of Polonius as much of a villain. Ronaldo is visibly shocked by Polonius's suggestion that he sully his son's name. But Polonius comes across as being naive and misguided, not sinister or manipulative. Mary, none so rank as may dishonor him. Take heed of that. Uh, but sir, such wanton, wild, and usual slips as our companions noted and most known to youth and liberty. As gaming, my lord. I... Oh, drinking, fencing, swearing, drabbing. Yeah, you may go so far. My lord, that would dishonor him. These are just very bad ideas he thinks are the right thing to do. The implication is that the king's chief counselor has no moral compass. He isn't choosing wrong like Claudius did. He's just unable to tell right from wrong. The way Ronaldo is played as a smiling yes-man mirrors Osric's role in Elsinore later, and even that of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. Polonius seems to surround himself with aides who are excellent at singing praises, but not much else. There's no one in the court who can tell truth to power, which will prove to be why Hamlet is so disruptive. Polonius is a fool who surrounds himself with clowns and who is played with a distractedness bordering on senility. He really does lose his place and seems confused, even after Ronaldo's prompting in this scene. Uh, and then, sir, uh, this... Uh, uh, what was I about to say? Well, by the mass, I was about to say something. 
And I should also mention some fun bits of comic business in the scene. Ronaldo tries repeatedly to take the notes he's meant to deliver from Polonius's hands, but he can never get at them because of the older man's animated speaking. He also grabs the coins himself and doesn't wait for Polonius to remember to pay him. Though played for comic effect to keep the audience interested, this again goes to Polonius's failing faculties. Now, no Ronaldo in Zeffirelli or in Hamlet 2000, so we skip to the Fodor film for more Ronaldo, or should I say Ronalda? Fodor's more experimental, horror-driven version has already changed Polonius and Horatio's genders and now does the same with Polonia's agent. It should be said that this scene doesn't follow from the end of Act 1 anymore, or rather it does, but other things have been dropped before it, including a musical montage in which we see Hamlet and Ophelia's encounter, uh, which we'll discuss in our next episode, and the to-be-or-not-to-be speech. Yeah, again, that's a matter for another day. The Polonia Rinalda scene is played as a seduction with a definite sexual undertone throughout. Uh, undertone, maybe underselling it, uh, overtone. Polonia feeds her agent black cherries and wine while dressed in red silk evening wear. The ghost bears silent witness to her decadence, and the occasional graininess of the film gives the impression that a third party is watching, and perhaps it's the audience. At one point, the sound drops out and we hear a ghostly whisper, after which Polonia forgets her place. What was I about to say? By the mass, I was about to say something. Where did I leave? At closes in the consequence. At friend or so. And gentlemen, at closes in the consequence. I, Mary. Polonia isn't old enough to be senile, but she could have played the line as sinister. Instead, we have a third option. She appears confused by the loss of her train of thought. Is she being haunted by the ghost, who would then be acting supernaturally on characters other than Hamlet? Or is this part of Polonia's sadistic madness? What she does next is deranged at best. She slips her belt out of her evening gown, and having entranced Rinalda into closing her eyes in anticipation for some pleasure, is about to strangle her with it. Only Ophelia's entrance breaks the spell and prevents her from doing so. There is ambiguity here. It could be a sex game involving suffocation, or it could really be a, a sort of spell having Polonia act under the ghost's control. If it isn't either of those, what are we to believe about someone who kills her own agent just after giving her orders? Again, the answer doesn't come easily. An unhinged and volatile Polonia could be mercurial enough to kill her own agent for getting the mission in that moment of passion. The mission itself could be a pretext for getting Ronalda into her quarters and or make her disappear smoothly in the wake of a pleasure-driven murder. One clue, well, as Polonia discusses her brother Laertes, at the line, he's very wild, addicted, we see a flash of him striking a woman. There's no need to sully his name when the character has already been shown to be all those things, which Polonia well knows in this version. So is Ronaldo's mission a fake from the start? Just a game she plays with her mistress? As usual, Fodor likes to keep us guessing. 
The 2009 Hamlet, with David Tennant in the role, features an outwardly patient Ronaldo in the service of an aging and doddering Polonius. He smiles at jokes he doesn't really get and tries to walk away before the rather lengthy conversation starts again. There's a comedy exit, really actually brilliant, and this is a fair way to play it, since Polonius' long-windedness and is already Shakespeare's big joke. Just as he ironically has Polonius later go on and on about being brief, and in a later moment pointing out that a speech is too long, here he basically talks to himself, as the other character in the scene barely gets a word in edgewise. It strikes me now that Polonius asks questions that he immediately answers. My good lord, wherefore should you do this? I, my lord, I would know that. Mary, sir, here's my drift, and I believe it is a fetch of wit. There's irony in the language as well. Polonius uses words like drift more than once, as well as slips. His own slip is amusing, but also disturbing. Polonius loses the thread of his speech, and uh, far from the 1996 version's test, appears to be losing his mind, and might even realize he's doing so. What was I about to say? I was about to say something. Where did I leave? At closes in the consequence. Closes in the consequence? It's an episode of Alzheimer's or dementia, uh, which puts in question Polonius's entire agenda. Why is this Polonius sending a spy to follow his son? The genial Polonius in this version doesn't usually seem sinister. It's like the evil he does is almost accidental, casual, without reflection. It's just what he does because he's always done it. Does he even know there's been a change of kings? His mental competence is certainly in question. If he's obsessed with what the movie's director calls hyper-surveillance, then what should we make of the shot of the conversation from a security camera? Even as Polonius instructs his spy, he's the victim of surveillance. But from whom? Claudius? Some unknown agency? The audience? Basically, he's under surveillance by dramatic irony. The shot is there to show us a man who has lost control of his own tools, whether that be spycraft or words. In general, whatever Polonius says in the play, the opposite has a better claim to the truth. He will be brief only by being long-winded. He will spy only by being spied upon. And he will never be right about anything. Not Hamlet's madness, not his designs on his daughter, and not where to hide in Gertrude's closet. Everything he says is thus suspect, including his suspicions about Laertes' behavior, later to be refuted in everyone's dialogue. They call him a valiant youth, and so on. In other words, Polonius's untrustworthiness gives the actor playing Laertes license to play him as the opposite of his father's descriptions. No Ronaldo in the other sources we usually look at, so we're going to take a short promo break, and when we return, we'll look at feedback on our Act 1 wrap-up. Who's editing? A thought experiment in which Siskoid and his guests appoint themselves editors of a comic book line at DC Comics. But the joke's on them, because they can only use the characters of a specific issue of Who's Who, and in fact must use them. Great ideas? Yes, we think so. Cool reinventions? Of course. Crisis fatigue? We guarantee it. Who's editing? Now on its own feed, only at the Fire & Water Podcast Network, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. Révélation. 
Just a couple of comments uh, on the Act 1 wrap-up, in which my guest Stella and I discussed the questions raised at the beginning of the play, and also took a look at the Lion King's Hamlet connections. Ange liked it and says, I saw the Hamlet overtones in Lion King from the evil uncle to the ghost's visit, but I am very glad they let Simba live. Yeah, imagine. Ward Hill Terry uh, says, Siskoid, this is a marvelous podcast. Thank you for sharing your fascinating research. When I was an actor, I did not do many Shakespeare plays and was only Hamlet adjacent. I was cast as Horatio in a production, but had to drop out when I got accepted into graduate school. The production went up after the semester started and the school was a thousand miles away. However, I was able to perform a wee bit of the play. I was in a student production of The Actor's Nightmare. I saw him, my lord, his beaver was up. His uh, beaver was up, you say? Okay, I get the kind of play this is. Some years later, I had the great fortune to be Guildenstern, or maybe I was Rosencrantz in a fun production of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. The fellow who played Rosencrantz or Guildenstern did an imitation of Hamlet, which still makes me laugh. If we ever meet, I shall do it for you unless I am restrained. I think I heard you say something about Olivier's representation of Hamlet being the one to set the popular image. I believe he was continuing the popular image. Jack Benny as Joseph Tura as Hamlet in To Be or Not To Be is probably an accurate depiction of the traditional stage Hamlet. Yeah, that movie comes first, yeah. Uh, many folks around my age got their first exposure to Hamlet from Gilligan's Island. Phil Silvers as Harold Hecuba singing mostly Shakespeare's words to Bizet's Carmen, who says television ain't cultural. I had additional exposure from the original cast recording of Hair, which contains the song What a Piece of Work is Man. When I first read the play, I immediately recognized those lines. Great stories, Terry. I probably saw that episode of Gilligan's Island early as well, but we watched it in French, so... Probably never got any of the Shakespearean stuff, even if I could have, because of the translation, I imagine. And I do plan on covering that Gilligan's Island episode at some point, but as a hodgepodge of various sources, various things, all Hamlet, towards the the very end of the run of this show. And speaking of the end, that ends our look at Act 2, Scene 1, Part 1. Next time, Ophelia rushes in affrighted. If you have thoughts on this particular episode, please head over to fireandwaterpodcast.com and leave them there. And if you like this content, think about visiting our Patreon page at patreon.com slash fwpodcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you, dear listener, will return for Act 2, Scene 1, Part 2, Ophelia Affrighted. Rest is...